Hi, and welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this episode is general in nature, does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So for those people very confused why there are two episodes out today, we've released two. Mm -hmm. So we promised that we would not release two-parters because I think the suspense was killing people, right, Shani? Like waiting a week (laughs) for that second part. So because this was long, we split it up and the topics are related but slightly different. So in that first episode, we looked at passive indexes, right? And then today we're going to look at how to find and how to pick a passive ETF. So yeah, hopefully these are both helpful and hopefully you listen to both. All right. So let's get straight into it. In this episode, we're going to run through a few ways that you can spot out a good index ETF. And these traits or characteristics are those that we found common in our highest rated passive funds and ETFs. Yeah. And probably a good place to start is obviously to take a step back and look at indexes in general in the world of passive investing. So you are given a ton of choice. So the best way to approach this would be to go through an example. So say that I've gone through the asset allocation process and I've been told to go and invest 30% of my portfolio in domestic equity. And domestic equity could be a variation of things, an Aussie tech thematic ETF, an Aussie microcap ETF, simply even deciding between the ASX 200 and ASX 300. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about that for a second. So, Mm -hmm. you know, at face value, that seems like a pretty stark contrast, right? So they both are looking at large cap shares in Australia, right? ASX 200 is the 200 largest shares. Mm -hmm. ASX 300 is the 300 largest. And, you know, it should be obvious to everyone, there's 33% more holdings in one, and s- smaller companies have traditionally been more volatile, so it could have an impact on the portfolio. And we won't keep you in suspense. There realistically is no difference in the way that these indexes have performed. The difference in performance over the short and long term is negligible. The volatility not much different to each other, and in general, they just behaved and performed exactly like the other. And this mainly had to do with the weighting of the bottom 100 shares. Shares 201 to 300 in the index, they make up approximately 3.3% of the index collectively. For comparison, CBA, the largest share in the index, is 7.8% of the index. And we mention this because this process may seem completely overwhelming and a lot of due diligence to just invest in the market. Ultimately, this is one of the stages where investors get stuck and turned off from the very idea of investing. Exactly, Mark. And choice can be great, but sometimes it can be debilitating. So we wanted to add some structure around how to choose an ETF, and we'll run through and give some examples as we go. All right, so the first characteristic is that it's representative. The best indexes are representative of the investment style that they're trying to capture. And this is really just looking at whether an investment is truly reflective of the market in which it is saying it's representing. So let's take a look at the most popular ETF in Australia, the Vanguard Australian Shares ETF. And this one's pretty simple. As we said before, it's supposed to represent the ASX 300. So it's 300 holdings. The ASX 300 is mainly large cap stocks with the inclusion of some mid cap as well. And the way that we can assess how representative it is, is to look at the market it's trying to represent. And there are a couple of interpretations of this. The first would be a very literal interpretation large and medium cap exposure to Aussie equities. But there's also investors that invest in the ASX 300 for the purpose of getting broad exposure to Australian equity markets. 
The first interpretation is simple. There's 300 Australian equity stocks that are large and mid-cap, organised by market capitalisation across a range of sectors and industries. But then the second interpretation, broad exposure to Australian markets, which is what we're trying to do when we fill the domestic equity portion of our asset allocation, this is where we can see how these passive ETFs measure up to what you're actually trying to achieve. Yeah, and you know a good example of this, and this is not used for investing, but you have the all words, which represents 85% of Australia's equity markets. So that's January 2022. And just an interesting note is that traditionally, it's actually been more around the 95% mark. Now, there are no ETFs that track the index, but in this case, it's being used as a tool to gauge representation of the market. And the All Lords contains 500 stocks, so 200 more than the ASX 300, and the additions are in the medium to small cap space. Ultimately, there are fewer ways to measure representation between these two investments, and that is looking across composition, so what it contains and subsequently its behavior, the performance and how it got there, levels of volatility. And one thing to note is that this is a very simplified example. This all seems very academic. Of course, the situation changes if we are complaining. Com- not complaining, comparing (laughs) the all ords to an Aussie tech thematic ETF that focuses on one sector and one style, which of course is growth and, and, and has an inclusion criteria that isn't based on market cap. That would look extremely different to the all ords in the composition, behavior, and outcome. And this, of course, isn't always a bad thing. You can make deliberate decisions about the investments that you make to have exposure to the assets that you want to. But what testing the representativeness does is ensure that you're finding the right exposure. If you're looking for exposure to Australian markets, you wouldn't consider an investment with 72% in IT and 22.9% in technology and communication services like you would get with the Betashares S&P ASX technology ETF. Although all of its holdings are still in Australia, you wouldn't consider it representative of the market. Yeah, and we talked about this in the first episode, right? That like, you know, once again, that's active investing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, active investing is fine, but that's not passive investing. So if you're trying to passively invest and get exposure to the market, you should not buy those very narrowly focused ETFs. So at the end of the day, there is really no difference between the 200 and the 300. But any narrower focus on the Australian market is, as I said, active investing. So in this case, you're investing passively. And if that's what you're trying to do, then find the broadest index possible. All right. So let's move on to the next point of testing these passive ETFs to see if you've got a good one that is fulfilling the purposes that you intended it to. And diversification is a theme that we speak about constantly with investing. It's one of the core foundations of successful investing. And the core tenant is reducing the overall risk in your portfolio. When we look at passive ETFs, it's one of the key drivers of investment, being able to easily access a basket of stocks through one trade. And when we're speaking about diversification in this context, this is the closest you get to to a free lunch in investing. There are index funds in the US where the competition for funds under management is so fierce that the fees are 0%. And an example of this is VTI which is the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. All right. So I feel like you're going to have to explain that one, Mark. Why and how would a business put out a product where they're not making any money? Well, the short answer is that they do make money. So that actual management fee is just one of many ways that funds management companies make money off of funds and ETFs. And so they're really just, I guess, diversifying where they're getting their fees from. In this case, it's not from management fees. It's through a combination of securities lending and portfolio management 
It allows them to accrue these fees in other ways. And when we look at diversification and the fact that we engage in this process to lower risk in the portfolio, these processes reduce the risk of deviating from the performance of the index that they are following. Fees detract from performance and being able to make back the fees in other ways means the performance stays as close as possible to the index. And Ben Johnson, who's the Morningstar researcher we mentioned in the first part of this, in that same article, he mentions that diversifying broadly means that you are less likely to omit the winners. And what he means by this is that over the long haul, a small minority of stocks account for the majority of the market's returns. So if indexes are being more inclusive, they have a better chance of including those winners. So once again, if you're investing passively in the classic sense, you need to find the broadest possible index to invest in. Now, the widest or broadest possible index you could find is a global total market index. So as an Australian, it's unlikely that you would put all of your money into this index because only 2% or so would go to Australia because that's what Australia makes up in this index. So in this case, it would be a mix of a total market index and the Australia market with the ASX 200 or 300 as the representation. So you might want to invest in something that tracks the MISCI developed market index like Vanguard's ETF with the ticker symbol VGS, which gets a gold rating from our analysts. And perhaps if you're interested in throwing in some emerging market ETF, you could invest in the iShares ETF with the ticker symbol IEM, which gets a bronze rating for our analysts. And this combination would represent the investable share market with an Aussie tilt by having more allocated locally. So that fits the definition of passive investing. And deviating from that, I think it's safe to say, would be making an active bet. Mm, exactly right, Mark. So the next factor to look out for with passive investing is investability. And this isn't something that you'll need to worry about if you're investing in broad stock indexes or accessible large cap stocks or bond benchmarks. This is specifically concerning markets that are illiquid, without large trading volumes and harder to invest in. Trading can be costly and sometimes markets are just too hard to cover. And we've talked about this a few times when we looked at where active management may excel over passive. We promised that we weren't going to make this episode about that, but within efficient markets or corners of the market where we don't see a lot of interest, active managers tend to do better because they're able to reduce operating and trading costs, making active decisions, factoring that in, and have an opportunity set to pick from that has more chance of being mispriced as there isn't much interest. Markets like this include emerging markets, small or microcap stocks, junk bond markets, etc. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Shani. And basically, this investability factor is saying just this. Passive indexes do better in markets that are easy to invest in. Simple as that. And as we've spoken about before, if we're considering the ASX 300 using that Vanguard ETF with the VAS ticker symbol, it's a large and mid-cap index in a highly liquid market. That's just a textbook example of investability. So equity markets don't have as much of an issue with investability, but you would still see the degree of uncertainty about liquidity increase when you were looking at microcap stocks, say, compared to those compared to large cap stocks. When you really have to consider the investability, maybe with high yielding bonds or credit funds or that Bitcoin ETF that we've talked about before, where you're not even actually investing directly in Bitcoin. And that's also a great example of what might set off a red flag for representativeness. If you haven't listened to our Bitcoin ETF episode, it outlines why they're not entirely representative of cryptocurrency as ETF gains exposure through derivatives. So once again, go for broad indexes. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. 
Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our topics across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. Okay, Mark, our last one, and that is being turnover or fee conscious. Okay, yeah, so fees for the most part um, is, of course, unavoidable. So it's important to acknowledge that you're looking for managers that are aware and conscious of these fees and try to minimize them whatever way they can. And there's a pretty simple solution to this. Just look at the overall fees. So although it's not the most interesting read in the world, a lot of this information can be found in the PDS or product disclosure statement. A little bit of due diligence can go a long way. These are long-term investments that you want to keep in your portfolio for years. Checking the bones of an ETF before you invest in it for 10, 20, or 30 years seems like a pretty good trade-off. And at least that will allow you to maximize your returns and give you peace of mind. So the bottom line is that if you are paying at this point probably more than 0.3 of a percent per year on fees on an ETF, then you're not investing passively. We see these higher fee levels on products like thematic ETFs, which is, of course, why the fund companies like them so much. Ultimately, understanding what you're invested in is a huge part of increasing your chances of success as an investor. Exactly. And when I was researching for this episode, one of the first posts that came up was a person who was incredibly worried about his Vanguard Australian shares index performance. The market had performed a certain way and the ETF had underperformed by a small amount. They had no idea why, and the simple answer was, of course, tracking errors and the inclusion of fees. He was completely dissatisfied and had lost trust in his investment, and this is how investors get nervous and sell. So at the end of the day, there is some irony involved in all of this. So passive investing was originally started so that investors did not have to worry about an abundance of choice and examining managers and their portfolios. But of course, now we've had this huge run-up in the number of passive products, so-called passive products, that are available. So this episode isn't about complicating a simple topic. I think that the industry landscape has become complex, and that's probably turning investors off that really were just looking for this simplified product in the first place. So what we're trying to answer is there's so many passive index ETFs out there. They all look the same. How do you pick the one that's right for you and that's going to serve the purposes that you need in your portfolio over the long term? And we hope we've answered that for you today. Check the bones first. We'll put an article in our Investing Compass resources page that has a great diagram you can refer to, but refer to the cycle of index construction to understand what you are investing in. Look at the universe for the index, the selection process, how it's weighted, its constraints, and whether it's rebalanced. And then, of course, remember, we've got these green flags we're looking out for. Ensure that it's representative, it's diversified, it's investable, it's transparent, and, of course, the fee levels are low. So we've done it, Chani. We've done two episodes. I know. And you've barely kept your voice. Yeah, two (laughs) episodes. Two episodes. We... 
did a webinar. We recorded a podcast for the ASA this morning. Mm -hmm. It's been a busy day, but, but we're done. So anyway, thank you guys for joining us for both of those. We would love any comments or feedbacks you can put in your podcast app, especially the Spotify app where now there is the ability to rate the podcast. And of course, if you have any suggestions on show ideas or any other suggestions, complaints about my voice, you can email me at mark.lamonica1 at morningstar.com. And that's in the show notes. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.